0: Hey, Chicago Fire fans, Ezra out. It has happened, as reported by The Athletic this morning, Monday, May 8th. Chicago Fire has parted ways, not just parted ways, dismissed, fired, canned, gotten rid of. Ezra Hendrickson their manager for the last season and a half Uh, Tom Bogart and Paul Tenorio over at the athletic put out the article just as I was finishing my cereal and preparing my show notes for today and man let me tell you that news combined with just the flurry of everything going on in my Chicago Fire group chat man well that's been better than two cups of coffee this morning And uh, I can't say the firing was unexpected with the Chicago Fire playing their worst game of the season, a 3-0 defeat at Nashville, which we're going to talk about a little bit today and then kind of get a little bit of a summary on Ezra Hendrickson's coaching career, at least his manager career here with the Chicago Fire. Additionally, we also have to point out that the bad performance goes from just bad to worse with Rafael Chihos coming out with an injury in that first half. So we'll we'll get some reactions. We'll look at some of the stats and then give you a few more thoughts and the manager position of the Chicago Fire. So stay tuned. Welcome back fire fans to the Feed the Fire podcast. I am your host Nick and we are brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water available at your local 7-Eleven. Well, as I mentioned before the intro tunes there and as uh, every Chicago Fire fan has probably already heard, manager Ezra Hendrickson has been fired by the organization after their worst performance of the season just an embarrassing three nothing loss at Nashville, where this Chicago Fire team came out in a, a new formation, a new lineup, and absolutely wet the bed. Like they looked lost. They did not know where to go, they did not know how to play with each other. It was the epitome of the last year and a half under Ezra Hendrickson. Uh, and as a result, he has been let go. So let's take a quick look at this new formation and kind of give you some takes on it. And maybe the next coach can learn a little bit from these mistakes. So the fire came out in a three, five, two, or what some people were thinking is a three, four, one, two, where Jared and Shaqiri is kind of that attacking midfield, floating around the field, finding the game. You have the freedom to do what you want kind of position. Obviously Brady started in the back, but the three, he used three center backs, uh, with Burks, Chijos, uh, and Omsberg. And uh, Tehran, as we know, was uh, unavailable, was out after his injury last week. And then across the middle, Aceves, Navarro, Herbers, and Dean, again, with Shakiri in that kind of attacking mid floating around position. Um, so there's your 3 5. And then your two up front, Casper Shabilko and Yorgos Kutsius. So Kai Kamara does not get the start in this game. Shabilko gets the start alongside Kutsius. Okay, great. You tried something new, but you picked the absolute wrong team to debut this against. A 3-5-2 is, is compact in the middle, and, and that's how Ezra has been wanting to play. So even if you tried other formations, he's been wanting a compact middle to prevent opposing midfielders from coming up. Like Hani Mukhtar, right? But the problem is with Nashville, they have excellent wingers. The three-five-two means that your center backs your three center backs are playing essentially between the 18 yard box lines right you're giving up that space in the corner to stay compact in front of the goal this isn't like um you have your wing backs if you're playing four in the back his typical 4231 where you've got your two center backs centrally and you've got your two wing backs who at least they're supposed to as one pushes forward the other rotates back to help cover and vice versa and then when you're in possession, you have your center backs a little bit wider and your goalie is stepping up and almost playing a a sweeper keeper role in order to open up some passing along the back. Nope, you in this formation, you've got three center backs playing tight. You're giving up space on the wings and you should not be doing that to Nashville SC. Our team, the Chicago Fire, and I say our team just as a supporter, not like I think I own the group or something, because if I did, things would be different. Um, But the Chicago Fire don't have players to cover Shaffelberg, Mule, Lovitz, Godoy, Shaq Moore. When these guys are making runs in the space and into the corners, Aceves and Dean aren't quick enough to cover them. And you better believe that Burks is not soccer IQ enough to get in the right position, let alone physically fit or strong enough to... To track these guys down. And Olmsburg, as good as he's been, he's a big physical presence. But when you have quick guys like that playing in the wings, he cannot keep up with it. And then when Chihos goes down, they gotta change the formation. Nobody knows what's going on. It just compounds everything. This this match match against Nashville is the absolute worst time to try this new formation. And if Ezra really was trying something new to save his job, at that point drop nine guys behind the ball drop 10 guys behind the ball and just leave Kutzius just camped out at the halfway line and just drop everyone back and just defend and counter and defend and counter but nope he tried something different a lot of speculation was saying that they're rotating their squad to get ready for U.S. Open Cup but even if that was the case why did you start all of your available center backs you had Olmsberg Chihos and Burks Ron is out. He's unavailable unless his injury wasn't that bad and he wasn't really injured. And it was just a precautionary thing to keep him unavailable. It's not like he was on the bench. He was unavailable this game. By the way, Chris Mueller also unavailable due to an injury. He picked up supposedly on Thursday, conveniently after any sort of injury reports were released to the public. Again, what kind of games is the coaching staff playing here? What kind of games is the organization playing with this stuff? Right. Anyway, that's a completely different topic and argument. But again, the 3-5-2, not what you want to play against Nashville, because then when you do get spread apart or when you are starting to chase the game and push forward, that lets Hani Mukhtar do what he does best and just attack, attack, attack. And it was Mukhtar with two PKs. And I I forget who scored the third one, but um, you know what? Oh, no, it was Mukhtar. Hat trick trick against Mukhtar and there were plenty of jokes out there that were saying that hmm, Mukhtar two hat tricks in his career against the Chicago Fire call him a firefighter I appreciate the joke I think he was funny I just wish it wasn't at the expense of the team that I follow and support maybe support's too strong of a word right now anyway Mukhtar with the hat trick fire in shambles the other thing to point out in this formation was the two forwards having Shabilko and Kuziaz playing together up top Sounds like a good idea on paper, but it was terribly executed. We know Casper Shabilko played much better when he was in Philly with two strikers, someone he could play off of. He could be kind of the target striker up front and maybe. Instead of, you know, a two striker next to each other, have like a one and one where Shabilko is pushing forward more into the box and the second striker is dropping in a little bit deeper to receive some outlet passes and then maybe work a give and go with Shabilko, maybe make some runs to drag defenders away from Shabilko, and then let Shabilko either have a one on one or a first time opportunity on goal. We saw it work in Philly. Didn't work tonight for a few reasons. First of all, Kutius has not played like this with Chicago. And he was out of position most of the night. So that partly falls on him, partly falls on the coaching staff. They did not have their strikers prepared. Also, Shabilko has had a terrible habit since coming with the fire of dropping in deep, whether it is to try to get involved in the game or just because he's out of position, doesn't realize where he's at on the field, or because he's being coached that way. Regardless, if you're the single, if you're the striker up top, you're the target striker, especially in this pairing here, You can't be dropping back towards the center circle and receiving passes and and picking up the ball there. Once again, look at the fire's passing breakdown chart on MLSsoccer.com. You're going to see how deep he and Kutius, some of his passes were all coming from inside our defensive half. Why is your striker there? That doesn't make any sense. Kutius was out of position. Shabilko was out of position. The coaching staff did not have them prepared for this. Uh, The fire were completely unprepared for this match. Now, is it worth analyzing a lot of these formations and tactics much longer? Yeah, who knows? Probably not now that Ezra Hendrickson has been shown the door. But let's take a look at a few of the stats and see if there's anything that the next coach can salvage from this game or from Chicago's performances in general. All right, the stats in this game against Nashville. Fire had 49% possession. Five shots. Three on goal. Five shots, three on goal. By the way, none of those in the first half. No shots at all in the first half. Only 399 total passes. Passing accuracy at 79.5%. Typically, when you see passing accuracy around that 80% mark, it means that your team has been playing a lot in their own defensive third, their own defensive half. Because if you are playing a lot of passes in your opposition's half you usually aren't completing as many passes so the fire again pinned back for for large portions of this game only two corner kicks only 12 corners they were not getting into dangerous areas and when you don't have Haile Selassie starting and when you don't have Chris Mueller available then you're not going to be getting down the channels into the wings into the corners they got out 52 to 57 Uh, Brady did come up with seven saves. That's an amazing thing, right? You give up three, but you still save seven. And I had a really good conversation, uh, with men in red on their Twitter spaces after the game last night, uh, they were, we, we started talking about Chris Brady versus Gaga Slonina, how a lot of people are down on Brady because he's not keeping clean sheets. Well, last season, the fire sold out on defense. That was everything they were going for defense, 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 prevent the shots, prevent the opposing players from getting into uh, high percentage areas, all that sort of thing. And it paid off because Slonina was only making, you know, one, two, three saves a game and keeping a clean sheet as a result of it. Now, Chris Brady here is doing work. I mean, if Chris Brady was not having the season he was having, then the fire would be losing these games three and four to one or four, five, nothing. But Brady has been making more than his fair share of saves. Yes, he has had a couple howlers. Yes, he's been out of position on a couple ones. But when you are allowing your your opponent to to strike from inside 10, 12 yards, not much the goalkeeper can do from that. Anyway, let's take a look at some other stats here. Uh, the fire had 21 clearances to Nashville's 13. So that, again, tells you they're scrambling on defense. Oh, by the way, look at this, four yellow cards. Four yellow cards. Once again, lack of discipline. Um, I believe there was one one for dissent, one for time-wasting. Kutius gets one. I I don't understand why this team can't maintain their discipline. And I I get a lot of people now that Ezra's been fired have been uh, trying to come up with nice things to say. And I guess that's just human nature, right? Someone's fired. You don't want to pile on them. But everyone said he's, he's such this great leader in the locker room, right? Maybe he is. But his teams have no discipline when they get out on the field. I have seen Rafael Chihos try to stop his fellow defenders from getting into arguments and fights more than I have seen anyone on the coaching staff do that lately. One last statistic here as we tend to look at expected goals. The Fire only had 0.4 expected goals in this match. Nashville, five expected goals. Now granted, a penalty shot, depending on what model you use, is anywhere from like a 0.85 to a 0.95, but even if you took away two expected goals from that, Nashville is expected to score three goals and got one. So I don't know. Is that just Nashville? I, I think that's just cumulation, right? They had 30 shots, 11 on target. So you're going to get a higher expected goal. They were just peppering the Chicago fire in this match. Again, the fire didn't have a shot in the first half and their best opportunity was Brian Gutierrez's strike just after halftime. There's about a 20% chance of going in. I think he pushed it just wide. Otherwise, again, the Chicago fire did not generate an opportunity more than an 8% chance of scoring, at least according to MLSsoccer.com stats. Uh, so again, here's the takeaway from this game, from every game this season, the fire cannot generate offense. And for Ezra Hendrickson to go back and say Gutierrez is not going to the U-20 World Cup, and then to start him on the bench, doesn't make any sense, especially when he's proven to be your best attacking player. Maybe you didn't think he is experienced in the 3-5-2 enough. So then why are you playing it? Why? Aren't, what are you doing in training? Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Getting ahead of myself here, folks. At this point, we are going to take our sponsor break and remind you all that Feed the Fire is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This is not your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. And... Also, Skira Icelandic Spring Water sponsors our featured guest, John Donovan. John gives us his reviews, recaps, and takes on all things Chicago Fire following each of their games. John, I know we were kind of maybe the Fire can do something different against Nashville. Maybe they're they're going to figure something out. Um, yeah, it didn't happen. And let's hear what John has to say. He podcast exclusive. So make sure you're following along on Spotify and on YouTube. We are going to take a quick pause for John to take it away.
1: Nick, John Donovan here talking about the Chicago Fire and the MLS. Nick, the Chicago Fire played Nashville this past weekend, and it was a strange game right from the start, Nick. I knew as soon as I saw that starting lineup, I knew that probably Ezra was giving up on this game. You know, he's had a nice system going with Gutierrez, Camara up front, Gutierrez and underneath, Selassie and Mueller, and he did not play that tonight. Why? I have no idea. These are young guys that can play multiple games. You don't hold back when your team is almost in last place. You got to go with your winners. So he started uh, Kuzies, which I agree with, and Kasper Shabilko up front. And you know, playing with two forwards, this fire team just has not worked. Um, he had Evasus out on the left wing or left midfield. Um, Navarro, our red card guy, Shakiri, Herbers, and Dean in the middle. And Burks, who honestly, folks, should not be playing in this league. Joe's and Olmsburg, And I, I really like Olmsburg. I think he will be the future with Tehran if they can hold on to Tehran. But and Brady in the goal, who I thought had a pretty good game. But the game itself, uh, Nick, it just, I, you know, I looked at Ezra and I thought, what in the earth is he doing? Is, does he, does he want to win this game or is he giving it up? You know, during the game, I mean, the best player on the field is Mukhtar. And Mukhtar scored three goals. Now, two of those goals were penalty kicks. And the fire are just devastated by these cards. Why play guys that traditionally get cards? It kills your squad. I hate to say this, but both Navarros are potential red card guys all the time. Penalty kick guys, they don't know where the penalty box is. They traditionally foul wherever they feel like it. And Ezra just kind of overlooks it and let it just go. So two of the goals against the fire tonight... Like like it's always happened were penalty kicks, just amazing. And then the both of them scored by Mukhtar, and the final was a shot, a nice shot by Mukhtar. So you know the game was out of balance from the very start. Nick, um, the Nashville has a um, a guy that they transferred from Toronto down, and I thought I saw Shackelford play for Toronto, and I thought, my lord, this is a player. And the fire, I'm sure they had an opportunity for him. They certainly have the dough to pay for him. They passed up on him. He is really lightning quick, very attacking-minded. He, he messes up with Mukhtar big time. So the game was just odd, Nick, that probably the possession in the first half had to be 75% Nashville. They, and that's a, traditionally a team that plays defense. Um, normally the the ratio was different against Nashville but the fire just couldn't get it going not with a, a formation that they they rarely play they played three in the back with Brooks back there who's a guy that you know as I've said before doesn't belong in this league um C-Jose was hurt which really threw the the game out of whack and Olmsburg I thought Olmsburg played well um but the game you know the fire let let Maktar just go for free in the middle of the field. And why would anybody not put, uh, put that uh, fellow as the main guy for the team to guard is beyond me? So, you know, the fire went off down one at halftime. And um, they came out and, and Ezra did make some changes, which changed the tempo of the game. He put Gutierrez in, who is a luxury to watch. He put Kamara in. And he put Jimenez in, and you could see the game change because he was going with some quality players that had played together before. Now, Shakiri, you know, Shakiri has has to be one of the worst DP signings in the history of the league. He's, I think, the second largest paid guy in the league, and he did nothing the other night. Sure, he's got some clever passes once in a while, but his speed—I mean, the guy's still in his twenties. But his speed, his um it just looks like he's not in the game. He started arguing with the referees again, which never works. So, you know, I, I don't know what to say about this squad. Why he would um why Ezra would pan a game against Nashville, which is an MLS game that he's gonna to need to get in the playoffs later on in the season, why he would give up on that for a US Cup game against St. Louis, which is Tuesday night is beyond me. I was reading in an article, and they said that the Fire have done well in the U.S. Cup. Now, I remember them losing to Cincinnati, losing to Omaha. Yeah, they beat an amateur squad, but they have not done well in the U.S. Cup in quite a few years. So apparently, Ezra has his eye on Tuesday night's game, where Nashville played their starting side. They know that the MLS is where the money is and where they should be pointing their their decent players. So the whole thing, Nick, has me sort of out of balance. Why Joe Mansueto makes the Chicago Fire fans sit there and watch a team that just repetitively makes these card errors, his, subst- Ezra's substitutions, just really. Um, CJ's went off, and who does he put on? Selassie. I mean, it just, it just, puts your mind out of out of the game when you look at the substitutions that Ezra's doing. It It's mind-boggling. Now, they go up against St. Louis on Tuesday, and I think they play St. Louis the following Tuesday in St. Louis. There was an article written about the Fire playing at home against St. Louis on the, the Saturday game, which I think that is wrong. Um, you know, in my opinion, at this point, this squad— I heard that Joe Mansueto was at this game. He's got to get rid of Ezra, and he's got to get rid of Hines. This, um, the city deserves a decent decent chance at at least making the playoffs. This team has the skill, but it doesn't have the management, and that that's what I'm going out of this podcast with. They have the skill. They do not have the management. There was a reason that Ezra was an assistant coach for 20 years, he does not have it, folks. It is time for a change. So, Nick, that's about it. I'm going to try to go to that St. Louis game this week. I, I like to go to Seatgate Stadium, and I'm looking forward to seeing the St. Louis squad. They've certainly taken the league like I wish the fire would, but um, it should be a good game. Uh, so say hi to Mike. Mike, hope you're listening. Um, take care, folks. I'll talk to you next week.
0: All right. Thank you, John, so much as always for your contribution. Um, Yeah, text me, call me. Let's talk about this Ezra Hendrickson thing uh, because we have got to discuss it here on the podcast right now. Right now. Ezra Hendrickson has been fired by the Chicago Fire organization. Uh, The first article I saw, and I think the people who broke it, were Tom Bogert and Paul Tenorio over at The Athletic. And here are the, the initial quotes from the article. Quote, The Chicago Fire have parted ways with head coach Ezra Hendrickson. Sources with knowledge of the decision have told The Athletic. Sources were granted anonymity as they were not authorized to speak publicly on the decision. Continuing on. Frank Klopas, who was an assistant under Hendrickson, will be the Fire's head coach through the rest of 2023, the sources said. The club has also parted ways with assistant Junior Gonzalez. Assistants C.J. Brown and Zach Thornton remain on staff. End quote. So there you have it. I do not have a paid subscription to The athletics, So that is what I will share with you at this point. Fans, this was a long time coming, sadly. Uh, we have talked about it on this podcast week in and week out. Uh, Ezra was a mess tactically. Uh, his, his players continually changed, even though he kept running out the same formation. The results were always the same, and he kept running out the same formation and the same tactics. Uh, His second-half adjustments were non-existent. He was continually getting out-coached. His substitution patterns were predictable and were always reactionary, never proactive. He never got the most out of his players, especially his designated players. Now, there's probably not a lot he could do with the mental state and the motivation for Gaston Jimenez and Jared and Shakiri, But better coaches do figure out a way to get through to their players, and better coaches aren't kind of governed by price tags. Uh, Phil Neville last season benched Gonzalo Higuain and then got the most out of him. Meanwhile, this season, while the fire were playing better without Shakiri, Ezra Hendrickson comes out and says, and Shakiri, this is his team. And he'll be the starter when Gutierrez comes back. So that kind of tells you where his head was. And people say he's a great leader, but a lot of the things and comments that he said... Something like that. The teams playing well, clicking under under Gutierrez. You can kind of have a little bit of a youth movement going on with uh, Kutzius, Gutierrez, Fetty Navarro. And then he says, nope, this is Shakiri's team. The guy that does not fit uh, how any of these other players play. Uh, the guy who does not run or play defense and who does not seem to have any sort of positive attitude effect on the team. It's his team. It's his team. Um, so that was really part of his undoing. So again, as great of a leader as people say uh, Ezra is or, or has been, uh, it, it just didn't seem to do the locker room any favors, right? And and we all saw kind of Gutierrez's body language um, a little bit out there. Now, was this the tough love thing? Because Gutierrez came out in that second half when he came in uh, and and really really had some good moments in the first five, seven minutes or so. But but then that was it. The team didn't really didn't do anything after that. Anyway, and speaking of Brian Gutierrez and Ezra Hendrickson, regardless of their relationship, it took Ezra Hendrickson an entire season to realize Gutierrez should not be playing on the wing. And that Casper Shavilko just shouldn't be playing. Continuing on with Ezra for me, his his statements, his quote sheet after the games, they never really made sense. And and because he got fired, I, I didn't even go back and look at the quote sheet from, from this last game. And putting aside comparing players to eggs and potatoes, you know, we need to be eggs and harden in the boiling water, whereas potatoes will get soft in that same boiling water. Yeah, it's probably not the best. I, I've never seen that on any one of those, you know, motivational posters, like hanging in offices. It's like, you know, usually you see either like the cat hanging on and it's like, hang in there or like a guy climbing a mountain and it's like, you know, the journey starts with the first step. And then you see Ezra Hendrickson, it's like, be eggs. Like, no, that, the, those posters don't <laughs> exist out there, but maybe they should. That might be some great counter-motivational type stuff out there. Who knows? So let's put aside the eggs and the potatoes and the breakfast. I, I need to go eat now, man. I just had some Cheerios today. I, I should probably go make an omelet. Um, but putting that aside, his, his post-game quotes never really really matched up for me, right? We are not releasing Brian Gutierrez to the U-20 World Cup, but Gutierrez is going to start on the bench. Doesn't make sense, right? Um, our lineup is going to focus on the U.S. Open Cup, but I'm going to run out all of my center backs, right? Uh, also, by the way, I, I really think there's some terrible man management going on between the senior team and CF2, because I don't know how many minutes Olmsburg has played between the two teams in the last two to three weeks, but that guy's got to be feeling a little tired. And if you're trying to like work them back in a little bit, give them 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there on CF2. uh, Okay, fine. But like, don't let them play 90 in CF2 and then like bring them in to play the next game against the, with the fire. There's a lot of mismanagement from an organizational level there. And where I put some blame on Ezra is as the head coach, if you are trying to get results, you need your best players training with your first team and playing with your first team. You, you don't send down for rehab assignments in CF2. Anyway, that's that's my thought. Let's see, what else we got here? Ezra keeps saying these guys need to be mentally tough, and yet we see them run out with the same kind of attitude week in and week out. He says that we cannot have these late-game collapses, these set pieces, that own goal off of Selassie to give Atlanta the win late. We can't keep doing that. We keep losing our, our man and marking. Okay, so what are you doing in training? Like, why haven't you said, like, we actually have started doing some set piece defensive drills and training, and I fully expect an improvement. And if there isn't, then players will be getting benched. None of that. It was just this, he was just, he was answering questions just to answer questions and move on. And none of it flowed, none of it jive. And as, as a former trial attorney, I would love to get him on the bench, or I'm sorry, on the witness stand and just cross examine him to my heart's content. Speaking of organizationally, now Ezra's firing is not his fault alone. And I, I'm not just going to sit here and bash the guy because we've done enough of that on this podcast. He, he had some good qualities. He seemed to motivate people in certain areas. He had a good relationship with Kai Kamara. But again, he never really built everything out. I, For, for a defensive coach, he didn't know defensive formations very well. Anyway, but, but his firing is not all on him. George Heights, as the sporting director, has constructed a terrible, terrible roster. And now that we have started to see the Fire as an organization make some changes now with Ezra and Junior Gonzalez being shown the door, we can start to say that, okay, now the spotlight is on George Heights. Because how many times Chicago Fire fans have we seen, or MLS fans have we seen, Chicago fire in talks to sign striker talks fall apart Chicago fire in the conversation for this player, that player never get it across the line. Nobody wants to do business with the fire, either that or the fire think that they're better than they are at either negotiating or having a position of negotiation. Nobody wants to come play for a team that has not made the playoffs, but once in a decade, nobody wants to come play for a team that isn't going to release youth players to the youth world cup. Nobody's want to come play for a team where you have Casper Shabilko, Jared Shakiri, and Gastón Jimenez starting ahead of Yorgos Cutius, Brian Gutierrez, and I, I honestly I don't know who else would start after Gastón Jimenez because there's nobody that Heights has brought up a developer sign. So yeah, nobody's maybe we can get a D mid cheap because he wants to come in and play some minutes here. Additionally, you have to hit on your designated players as a as an MLS franchise. And, and here is who heights has signed. Robert Barich, Nacio Alicera, Gaston Jimenez, Jordan Shakiri, and Fernando Torres. Um, I think we can safely say, or I'm sorry, Hiro Torres, Fernando Torres. Where was I thinking? Hiro Torres. Uh, I think we can safely say Jimenez and Shakiri were busts as DPs. Hiro Torres to be determined because the guy's been hurt. If he doesn't get many more minutes this season, then yeah, I'll call him a bust. Alicera, it, it, was he a bust or was he a victim of coaching changes? Who knows, but uh, he was not good as a DP either way. Robert Barrett may have been the only one um, who could have had a chance to be a good DP here for the Chicago Fire. He was third in Golden Boot race uh, one season. I think, what was it, 17 goals he had? If No less than 12, no more than 17. I'm trying, I can't remember the numbers offhand here. But with a coaching change and with a formational change, uh, his style of play was not in demand and he was... Uh, moved on right so the dp track record terrible head coach hiring track record not stellar either so i i don't think heights has long for this organization his contract is through the end of the season it would be my guess at this point in time that he gets to play out his contract and just kind of set things up for the next person I really hope he does not get to hire the next head coach. I really hope he does not get to hire or assign any other players uh, unless it's kind of homegrown Academy kids coming up. Uh, and, and I, I confident in that a little bit, because if you're going to fire Ezra and say Klopas is the head coach through the end of the season, then you are going to let Klopas run things, get rid of heights, maybe get rid of Pelzer. Cause your business isn't doing that well either. Um, he's the, he's the technical director. Maybe get rid of him. Um, but at the very least, we should see Heights gone at the end of the season and use this time to find uh, a new sporting director, GM. However, maybe they restructured a little bit to bring in the next head coach. I'm I'm glad that C.J. Brown and Zach Thornton are still on the bench. I think Thornton uh, is going to do great work with Chris Brady and all the goalkeepers coming through the fire organization. Uh, I think C.J. Brown has a lot to offer. Uh, I just think that as good as he could coach up the defense, they needed more offense going forward, so he had to allow his his defensive players, his wingbacks, to be pushing forward rather than uh, worrying about defense. But back to Ezra, as that's the headline today. I'll, I'll leave it at this. And, yeah, I'm not even going to hedge. I'll, I'll leave it at this. There, there was a reason that he was an assistant over 10 years with three different MLS clubs and why that ended the way it did with the fire today. All right. Now, not to ruin the mood, even though it's a pretty poor one here. Uh, Frank Klopas was announced as the interim manager for the rest of the season. As a reminder, here are his MLS manager stats, according to Wikipedia. Uh, 140 games, 52 wins, 34 draws, 54 losses. So that's a 37.14 winning percentage. Uh, again, more losses than wins, uh, even though it's by two. More losses than wins across the Chicago Fire, Montreal Impact, and then back uh, to the fire again people will point out that he he took the impact to um to a trophy game or, or took him to ccl i i i haven't looked into that that's what i've been seeing on some chats so we'll have to vet that out a little bit more but regardless of the fact uh clopas is not a manager he should not be here i i honestly believe that he has some secret deal with MLS or the Chicago fire and he has some like lifetime contract with them because he should have been shown the door a long time ago. and there's going to be a lot more discussion about Frank Lopez as a manager in in the future in the near future and I'm sure many outlets are going to start digging into that once the Ezra Hendrickson news goes through its cycle. but I'll say this the only two things that the fire have done consistently over the last decade are miss the playoffs and employ Frank Klopas. Keep that in mind. All right, let's take a look around the league before we wrap things up. Some of the notable games I said to keep an eye on uh in our preview show here were TFC hosting New England. New England with a, a good 2-0 victory to really kind of solidify themselves top of the East. Uh Miami v. Atlanta. Not only do you have the Southern rivalry, you have Joseph Martinez playing against Atlanta, uh, and he finally gets on the score sheet. He scores his first and second goal, for Inter-Miami against his former club. And the history here is he hits 100 goals. He is the fastest MLS player to score 100 goals, doing it in, I think, 141, 143 games, something like that. So congrats to Martinez. Uh, also, I said keep an eye on Red, Bull, Red Bulls Philly. Uh, that was a one nothing victory for the Union, uh, but we also saw that lead to the firing of Gerhard Struber, the manager there. Was it just the fact that the Red Bulls are the worst team in the East? Thank you, Red Bulls, for wearing that hat so the Chicago Fire don't have to, at least not this week. Uh Was it the fact that Red Bulls are the worst team in the East that got Struber fired? Or was it the racism incident where he didn't sub off Dante Van Zier and really kind of waffled uh, when he was asked about it in the press? I think I think they, they mutually parted ways. That's that's what it was. They mutually parted ways, uh, but we all know what that really means. So. Red Bull's got a new coach. Fire need a new coach. Um, yeah, who's next? Who's next out there, MLS coaches? And the last game I said to keep an eye on, San Jose v. LAFC. This was a victory for San Jose. They get a, a late winner here, 2-1, to one, handing LAFC their first loss of the season. Looking ahead this week, the Fire have their U.S. Open Cup game Tuesday, May 9th. If you're going to be at the game, I know our, our featured guest, John Donovan, said he was going to go. So, John, let us... You know, If you want to shoot me another audio clip, we'll work it into the next episode. If any of you fans are out there, let me know your experience, what you thought, what you saw. You can find me on social media at glasshousesoccer, or you can email me glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. Once again, thanks to our sponsor, Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Everyone, have a great week. At least your week is going better than Ezra Hendrickson's already. We'll see you on the next episode.